Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions. With Amanda Howard and Robert McKnight. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Monsters Who Murder. As usual, I'm joined by the serial killer whisperer herself, Amanda Howard. Hello, Amanda. Hello, Robert. Great to be here again. Always good to be here. And in this episode, we'll be covering the DC Sniper. Yes, we are. So this will be an interesting case to go through because we basically only have one side of the story and I have a little bit more to that story that um, it's probably not in the news headlines. Well, this is interesting because what is a world first for us? Oh, a first for us. I don't know about world first. (laughs) This case also will feature in our news section because there's been a development just this week. Is that what you've been alluding to? (laughs) Kind of, but, yeah, there's a bit more to the story because I have spoken to one of the DC snipers. Okay, well, there's a lot to unpack here. (laughs) Um, We'll get to all that shortly, but first of all, let's get into the news. And we start with an update on our story we reported in our last episode. Serial killer Lucky Ward has been sentenced to death for his role in the strangulation of four people. Last week, Ward, who until recently was homeless, had been convicted of two murders. Now, NBC2 News reports that after five hours of deliberation, the jury decided Ward should get the death penalty. On top of the two people he was convicted of, he was also believed to have strangled two others in the Houston area as far back as 1985. Amanda, last week we talked about the fact Ward had been waiting 10 years for his trial to commence, and we know inmates can be on death row for years. Is there any expected timetable as to when his sentence will be carried out? Um, yes and no. It's 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 sad. Um, doing this big research project I'm doing on all of the serial killers, it really seems to be that his colour is actually going to play a part against him more than anything else. Why is um, that? I, well, I'm finding that um, black prisoners are actually executed faster than white prisoners. So, uh, huh. And it's not Joe to finances or anything like that. It just seems to be a racial divide and it's, it's quite disgusting. So, um, Well, we do know that in America there is definitely a racial divide and absolutely. we do know that, um, you know, black people are often scared of when they get pulled over by the police because it could they result in a shooting. Yeah, mm. yeah. And um, with this guy, um, he he was homeless before, so we know that financially he, he certainly can't support himself. Uh, he's already um, in his 50s. Uh, he's been in jail for 10 years already with appeals and they already get an automatic appeal when it's a death penalty case. So that will be another 10 years. By then he's, you know, 65. And then from there it's, it's really just a waiting game. Mm. And I think he will probably die of old age 
before he is executed. But at the same time, as I said, blacks seem to not last as long on death row as, as, as their fellow white inmates. Interesting. Well, Lee Marvo, who we will be profiling today, has caused news this week by marrying in prison. Malvo was one of the killers involved in the DC sniper attacks which terrorised the Washington DC area in 2002. The two-hour ceremony was held at the Red Onion State Prison, according to reports. Amanda, we'll go into more details shortly about this case, but Malvo is serving multiple life sentences and many would say he doesn't deserve the niceties of a wedding after committing such horrendous acts. Uh, it's, um, I mean, the bleeding hearts would say the opposite, you know, but at, at the same time, uh, this is not the first we've seen that Charles Manson went as far as a licence to get married to one of his groupies. Uh, this happens actually a lot. There was actually a true crime author several years ago that married Danny Rollins. So it's just something that seems to happen a fair bit. Um, and th- this is just one one case that we're hearing about, but this happens a lot more than you could even imagine. Of course, a very high-profile case, and as we'll discover, it really terrorised a whole city. But let's talk about the bride. The lawyer who represented Malvo during his original trial and subsequent appeals described Malvo's wife as, and I quote, a very impressive young lady, educated, her eyes are wide open. <laughs> uh, there's a lot to unpack there. What do you think he means by her eyes are wide open? I think she's seen dollar signs in those eyes more than anything else. But uh, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm a bit jaded. I know for a fact, um, having having spoken to uh, Lee many times over the years, he's always about the cash. So if he can get someone to get on board and say, well, let's see what we can do about selling our story, it's going to go a lot further. So um, I what, think... What good is cash to a guy in prison? Are oh, you kidding, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> if he has cash, he doesn't have to work. And in prison, you know, cleaning toilets is not a pretty job. I can tell you that. Gotcha. Why are women attracted to killers? I mean, it's really the ultimate bad boy, but I, I don't understand it myself. I mean, I'm fascinated by killers and that's why I've spent the 30 years of my life actually doing this. But I don't understand those that become enamoured by them. I don't understand the love. I... I I met a girl one time. She goes, you know, uh, the only reason that Jeffrey Dahmer became a serial killer was because she he hadn't met me. And I'm like, but he was gay. <laughs> and she goes, yeah, yeah, but that, that's because, you know, I would have changed, changed him. Yeah, I would have stopped exactly. him being gay. I would have stopped him being a serial killer. Yeah, I mean, they, we were talking about this in our Patreon chat the other day. I mean, this is called hybristophilia and this is where they – want not just the bad boy but they're um, excited by the danger and the fact that, you know, they could be killed by these people. They, 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 they seem to think that that's a very real possibility and it doesn't make them think, hang on a sec, that is basically domestic violence and abuse, but they seem mm. to be thrilled by it and it's quite shocking to see but um, she won't be the last. Well, speaking of Patreon, in the coming months, Amanda and I are going to do a live episode for our Patreon subscribers. If you're on the $20 tier or more, you will actually get to watch a live recording of Monsters Who Murder, (laughs) Serial Killer Confessions and see all the secrets involved. And if you are interested in our Patreon subscription, just go to patreon.com slash mwmconfessions. Meanwhile, police in Burbank, California, have discovered a swag of photos of women at the home of an accused serial killer. And as NBC4 News reports police are worried for their safety. Women, I don't know who they are. And uh, my concern is that either they're missing, 
or they're dead. They're, they could be the victim of something. Burbank Police Detective Aaron Kay has been working the case of Horace Van Valtz, who was charged last year after investigators used genealogical databases to try to find the person who had left DNA clues on the bodies of two women more than 30 years ago. The 64-year-old man was charged today with two counts of murder, with seven counts of special circumstance. In 1986, the body of Mary Duggan was found in a parking lot here off the 5 freeway at the edge of Burbank. The leads ended up running cold. Not until 2006 when a DNA link was found to the 1981 murder of Selena Keough, a 20-year-old mother raped, strangled, and dumped in Montclair. That was a big deal because that opens up a whole nother avenue of, of leads. But still no connection to the person who did it until this. We were looking for a needle in a haystack. The arrest in 2018 of Joseph James D'Angelo, the so-called Golden State Killer. He was found through a new type of search of DNA profiles that used genealogical databases. He's now suspected in at least 13 murders and more than 50 rapes. There was a different way of, of using the, the suspect DNA. To he says it worked. After narrowing a list of possible suspects, a DNA test on trash snatched from the curb of Valtz's home in Bakersfield confirmed it. Kay says now they're hoping the mystery photographs lead to more witnesses. Amanda, there's no doubt these women are dead, right? I mean, these pictures are memento, surely. Well, they may be. And when you look at the photos, there, there is a definite type. There, this killer, whose name is Horace Voltz, has, has a definite type. And so it does suggest that maybe some of them may be dead, but I don't think all of them will be dead. We'll probably find that some of it was practice. So this was um, profiling his victims. He was sort of checking out who was to go for, you know, do you go for the sporty types, do you go for the ones that have so a bit more So it's possible he didn't have interactions with all of them? No, no, you know, right. he might have said, you know, oh, I'm a photographer, you know, or just followed some of these girls. But this is part of his his project, basically. So this is how he gets to that next point is by he uses these photos for sexual gratification and then he takes these photos and maybe follows some of them and then some of them may likely ended up dead. Well, it's been interesting to see the role DNA testing is playing on finding alleged killers these days. It's it's going tenfold. Um, almost every second case we discuss that comes up now involves some kind of DNA profiling. It is, and it's so amazing that this is happening, so much so that I'm actually looking at to see how we can do it here in Australia because it doesn't seem to be happening as much. So, granted, we, we don't have uh, the number of unsolved cases like the US does but it's something I'm looking into because I know that the few that are actually sort of keenly involved with this in the US has the same degrees I have so I'm thinking maybe there's some way that I can sort of start it up here or join groups that are, that, that do do it here because I think it's something important and we're going to find almost a globalisation of some of these killers because they mm. don't just always kill with in the same state or even the same country and I mean mm. I've, I found a killer today that um, killed in nine different countries. So, wow. you know, and it may be that it's unsolved purely because um, they've gone to a country that isn't now doing this or it may be that um, it's things like this that are going to allow us to solve some of the, the greatest cases like the Zodiac. I mean, it's never going to solve Jack the Ripper, um, but <laughs> the Zodiac definitely, um, I think I think that's just, I think we're probably down to weeks, maybe days even with Zodiac because I know that it's been close.
Oh, very interesting, Amanda. Well, I think it's time to get into our profile case of the week. I love your psychological profile. So in a moment, we will discuss the DC Sniper case. It's quite fascinating. That will come your way when Monsters Who Murder Serial Killer Confessions continues. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. These interviews are a little different. Let's go for it. Let's cut some throats. And they are very, very honest. And I do believe that that was the real beginning of us breaking up. It's a celebration of media with tall tales you have to hear to believe. Simon used to fly up into a rage. Join media executive Rob McKnight for a brand new podcast where you never know what will be revealed next. McKnight Tonight, part of the TV Black Box podcast feed. Born inside, born in. Well, this week we're looking at a case that caused widespread panic throughout Washington, D.C. throughout October 2002. People were being shot dead at random in what became known as the D.C. Sniper or Beltway Sniper case. To give you an insight into the panic it caused at the time, have a listen to this report from ABC World News from October 10, 2002. The shooting started yesterday at 5.20 p.m. A bullet went through a window of this store, narrowly missing a clerk inside. It was the only miss. At 6.04 p.m., a middle-aged white man was killed outside of the supermarket. This morning, the murders resumed. At 7.41 a.m., another white man mowing his lawn. At 8.12 a.m., an Indian man gassing up his cab. Minutes later, at 8.37, an Hispanic woman sitting reading a book on a bench outside of a restaurant. The young lady that I just seen about five minutes or ten minutes ago off the bus was laying right there, and it was just terrible. Just over an hour later, at 9.58 a.m., another single bullet, another victim, a woman cleaning her car at a gas station. Altogether, six shots, five apparently random victims within 16 hours. Police are stunned. Nothing like this has ever happened in Montgomery County. Uh, this is a very safe community. Uh, our homicide rate just increased by 25% in one day. Law enforcement sources say the weapon was a high-power rifle, fired in some cases at least from a distance. We feel like we probably have a skilled shooter uh, and, and that does heighten our concern. Police have had little to go on, only one witness's description of two people in a white truck speeding away from one murder scene. Police are stopping white trucks and vans but have not found any suspects. That has made the community nervous. 140,000 schoolchildren in Montgomery County were kept indoors through the day and police were on hand when schools let out. Amanda, you remember this case vividly, the news stories of more people being shot, but this, 
Though it sounds like a mass murder, it was actually a serial killer, wasn't it? Or perhaps we're better describing it as a spree killing series. Oh, it's definitely a spree. You're getting good with those terms, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those cases that actually blurs the lines between both ends, so between our serial and our mass. And, you know, that this case began on October 2, and in total there was actually 17 deaths and 10 injuries linked to the case. So um, it, it started quite graphically and then it sort of petered off a bit because people were becoming more aware but people were still being shot just like filling up their car at the local gas station. It's quite surprising and it just proves how vulnerable people can be and what it can do. You you used an interesting choice of words in there. You said linked to the case. Well, I'm I'm glad you noticed that because um, what occurred during 2002 in October, um, they actually murdered ten people there and and three others were injured. But between February and October of that same year, they actually killed a further seven and injured seven more. So though this October spree w- w- was quite huge, they had been practicing basically. Ah, uh, gotcha. And and it was and you said they. This wasn't just one person doing the killing. No, and this is why it's so rare. I mean, mass killings, um, we sometimes see partners. So we do see people, you know, like like the Columbine we, we've boys. We've talked and about this like a lot, that. yeah. Yeah. Um, but th- this is kind of a serial killer team and it's a mass murdering team and it's a spree killing team. It's, it's all in one. And we have two people here who come from very different backgrounds, but it just sort of went together in such a strange way that it's it's quite surprising with the outcome. And it is rare, isn't it, to have a case like this one where, you, as you say, it's a serial killer team, a mass murder team and a spree killing team. Yeah, it is. It, it's it's rare because of, of the way it was done. Like we see people like um, the toolbox killers, um, they were after sexual gratification. There is those explosive boys like like the Columbine boys who um who go out in a rage but this is different this is about doing it because they can and and it's such a, a weird way for two people to come together um and it does come down to the power and control of it it comes down to how these two people fit together well, one of the killers, Lee Malvo, and he was the guy we heard got married in prison this week, he spoke to Jamaican TV news program called 18 Degrees North. The show interviewed Malvo by phone from his prison cell. How many people did you actually pull the trigger and kill? 20 to 24. You've personally killed between 20 and 24 people? For example, I went through a process of training for one. These were missions. Yeah, I mean, it's almost as if, you know, it's 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 coming from above that um, God is sending him out to do these things and they're trying to rid the world of 
dirt or bad people or anything you know he and even in this interview where they're just trying to get some insight into him he's angry he's an angry man and he always has been and he he seems to blame everyone but himself which we do see a lot as as well but this is him saying that this wasn't just a spree this wasn't just a serial killing this was something that he was determined to do and it's all about um that orientation towards it being um, goal-driven. It's interesting you say he won't take responsibility. In that Jamaican TV interview, Malvo claims it was poor parenting that led him down the path to murder. That's a bit of a cop-out, isn't it? Well, I mean, a psychopath will never take responsibility for what they've done. They always believe that it's an outcome of other things that have happened in their life. Um, they blame everyone else for their misfortunes. You know, like he's saying there that, you know, his his mum left him, his dad, his dad mm-hmm. left him. Um, they, they didn't really care and just told him to fend for himself. But there is other people out there who fend for themselves and they don't become a serial killer. Yeah. You know, no one put the gun in his hand, pointed it at a pregnant woman, like he did and fired Mm. so you know it does regardless it comes down to personal choice and he made that choice you know on that issue of parenting Malvo does go on to talk about his accomplice Muhammad now Amanda talk to me about who Muhammad was first before we go into this clip well, John Muhammad was just a man who seemed to just take Lee under his wing. He was just there to sort of become this father figure to him. Even though uh, John had his own family, he let Malvo basically become one of them. But it does actually take a bit of a sinister turn. And and Muhammad was actually executed for his role in the DC sniper shootings. Yes, quite quite quickly actually. Whereas um, Lee Malvo has, I think, seven life sentences. Well, as we said, he went on further to talk about Muhammad's role uh, of becoming like a father to him. I met Muhammad in May because I used to frequent his computer shop, and um, I saw the relationship he had with his son. I needed just someone to care enough. Amanda, you heard something in there that's interesting to you from Malva. Yeah, I mean, he actually says that he wanted John Muhammad uh, to interact with him the way that he 
interacted with his own son. So you have to wonder why he killed with Malvo and not his own son. So, you know, why did John not become a killer with him but became a killer yeah. with Malvo? So it suggests that he saw Malvo not as a son but as probably a disposable unit that he could actually guide towards his, his own goals, um, you know, and... It could be because he didn't want to risk his own son. I mean, it's, it's it's such a very strange dynamic that we have here that we will explore further. But um, it's it's just he wanted a father figure. John Muhammad wanted a killing partner. Let me ask you this. Do you think there's a stronger bond between two family members or between two killers? Oh, my God, what a question. Um, <laughs> I, I, it's a really hard question to answer, I think, because... Well, we always say blood is thicker than water, but when you well, have done something... Yeah, good point. Yeah. That, that's know, a great point. You know, um, th- this th- this is a bond, but we do see this bond break. Um, when you think of uh, Lawrence Bittaker and Roy Norris, when... It come down to it, Roy turned on Lawrence as quickly as he could. Mm. And so they do have this bond and it is extremely strong because they have to trust that the other one isn't going to dob them into the police. Mm. So they have to have that trust. But when they are caught, they both turn quite quickly. So, But at the same time, if you were doing this with... Um, someone in your family you would probably do the same thing we know that you know thinking of um paul bernardo and carla hamolka she turned on him and actually dobbed him into police police wouldn't have caught him if she hadn't gone to them so you know it's another case available in our extensive (laughs) collection of monsters who murder serial killer confession episodes well look in the interview with 18 degrees north melvo says that muhammad did take him on like a son but there was also abuse involved when you have a child or an adult with no supervision, it's a situation in which the same thing happened to abuse you. How did he abuse you? Well, it started off with petty and then it became sexual. That was the abuse. It became sexual, you said? Yeah. That's how the control, that's how, why the control was really so powerful because the relationship was not only a father and son. He was telling me what he was doing to me by using analogies of a hunter talking to prey. It's very sick to think about, but that's exactly what happened. Uh, again, you say his words speak volumes. Yeah, I mean, he's basically saying it happened because an adult was left unsupervised with a child. So he's saying that's the only reason that this abuse happened. And he's actually saying that this is sort of part of a natural progression that's happening between the adult and child in, in this relationship. And it's sad to think that he believes that this is how things should have happened anyway. You know, his, his his claims are actually inevitable because he is someone who was discarded for most of his life. He just believes that that was the only way that he was going to get love. We'll, we'll probably find later on um, if, if he does dig deeper that there is probably abuse from other people that he got involved with. Um, but he believed that he needed to succumb to this abuse because that was the only way he could get... Uh, John Muhammad to actually like him and it's just sad that he thought that was the only way you know there is a bit of a victim happening here but at the same time there is a lot of people who are sexually abused as children that don't go and kill yeah but they're also not with a man who wants to kill and 
that can have an influence if this is the parental figure in your life and you are still forming who you are. And I know this is something we're going to speak about uh, as we come down to him talking about more how he was coerced into this. But I do think there is something to be said for a 17-year-old not being fully formed. I'm 46 and don't feel fully formed. And I think the person I was five years ago is different to the person I am now. And values change and you evolve and your thought processes, they actually, um, they grow through experience, you know. So, But regardless, a 17-year-old knows right from wrong. There's no doubt he would have known killing people is wrong. Not, not disputing that at all. But when he's caught up in that world and, you know, there's a banter with the person you look up to who's also sexually abusing you, who you're craving the attention of, there's so many dynamics in, in, in play here. I just don't think it's an easy thing. But look, Lee Marvo explained in a telephone call to CNN how they chose their victims and watched as families saw their loved ones die. Here he talks about the death of Linda Franklin, who was shot on October 14 in the car park of a Home Depot. One is Mr. Franklin's eyes, and what makes that it, they're penetrating, but it's, it is the worst sort of pain I have ever seen in my life. His eyes. It's the worst words do not possess the depth in which to fully convey that emotion. And what I felt when I saw it. So you can see the pain in Linda's husband's eyes as she was shot dead, but still continued to kill regardless. Why is there always this hindsight, but not foresight? Uh, Because they got caught. And that's what it comes down to. You know, um, we do things wrong at, at times in our lives and we just get to that point and we go, shit, you know, I shouldn't have done that. And if it's something that is destructive, we do try and stop ourselves from doing it. But they don't. They see this pain, they see the agony, but they also see um, themselves on TV and seeing all of this thrill that they get from it. And it's actually feeding what they need. It's, it's, It's giving them that boost, whereas we would be frightened. They're actually exhilarated by it. It's interesting, though, getting caught up. You look at the people in Australia who've got caught up in buying toilet rolls and lots and lots of toilet rolls in fear of the coronavirus and we still don't understand what toilet rolls have to do with it. But now they're trying to return them to stores because they're like, oh, we didn't need all these toilet rolls and the the stores are saying no. But that's a side issue. But I think there is something to be said for people getting caught up in a frenzy. And Malvo talks more about his remorse in this interview with 18 Degrees North. Are you more remorseful now? Yeah. When you're 17 years old, he really doesn't see exactly what he does. He did not give me an opportunity to think because when I think I have doubts, I'm always getting preoccupied with on a need to know basis. Now, during the crime spree, the men had written a letter to police that was found near one of the crime scenes near a restaurant. They demanded $10 million or they would continue shooting. They also left tarot cards at a number of locations. Written on them was, Call Me God. In a press conference, police read out several parts of the message they had received and directly spoke to the shooters on camera. This is what Chief Moose said. 
We understand that you communicated with us by calling several different locations. Our inability to talk has been a concern for us as it has been for you. You have indicated that you want us to do and say certain things. You asked us to say, we have caught the sniper like a duck in a noose. We understand that hearing us say this is important to you. However, we want you to know how difficult it has been to understand what you want because you have chosen to use only notes, indirect messages and calls to other jurisdictions. The solution remains to call us and get a private, toll-free number established just for you. We still ask you to call or write us. If you are reluctant to contact us, be assured that we remain ready to talk directly with you. Our word is our bond. If we can establish communication with you, we can offer other means of addressing what you have asked for. Let's talk directly. We have an answer for you about your option. We are waiting for you to contact us. The press conference worked and they actually rung through to police assistance lines. This from the Crime Weekly document on the case. This was a religious cleansing. Did Muhammad believe he was being directed by a higher power? I think it's a cop-out, but we all know what I think about religion, so <laughs> maybe that's, I'm not the person to ask this question. Um, but, yeah, he did. He believed that this was to almost start a riot or a war. He wanted people to panic. He wanted people to... Um, start acting in, in their most basest desires, which is like what we're seeing currently with this stupid coronavirus, um, that people are starting to go all out for themselves and that's what they expected to happen. They wanted these people to become, you know, like setting ducks. He wanted to see them panic. He wanted to see that he could cause the chaos that would allow him to sort of mix in with it and do more of what he was doing from the comforts of the car. Well, the two men were arrested at 3.15am on October 24, 2002. The car they were driving was spotted at a rest stop and Malvo and Muhammad were asleep inside. For the crimes, John Muhammad was put to death by lethal injection on November 10, 2009. Here we have the news of Muhammad's death from the Washington Times. All right, the execution of John Allen Muhammad has been carried out under the laws of the Commonwealth of Virginia. Death was pronounced at 9.11 p.m. 9.11. There were no complications. Mr. Muhammad was asked if he wished to make a last statement. He <coughs> did not acknowledge this or make any statement whatsoever. No the statement. lawyers and the family of John Muhammad would like to make the following statement. The execution of John Muhammad will raise a lot of different feelings for the families devastated by the tragic shootings of September and October 2002 and for the broader community affected by those crimes. We, deep, we deeply sympathize with the families and loved ones who have to relive the pain and loss of those terrible days. Our sympathies also extend to the children of John Muhammad, who with humility and self-consciousness lost a father and a member of their family. To all those families, 
and the countless citizens across the country who bore witness and continue to do so to those tragic events. We renew our condolences and we offer our prayers for a better future. And Amanda, now that Mohammed was dead, Malvo put the blame squarely on the other man's shoulders. Of course he did. You know, with without John Muhammad there to defend himself, he could say whatever he wants. And, of course, he's going to absolve himself of his own um, blame in, in all of this. I mean, he still pulled the trigger regardless. Um, you know, but by saying that Muhammad told him what to do and he didn't have time to think, I mean, he, he claims that he was only told on need-to-know basis of what to do at the time, you know, basically point and shoot when it was time but really every time they got into the car they were heading out to kill so this was planned and this was premeditated um even though the victims were actually chosen at random so they had the plans each time and you know he knew what was going to happen well america's legal system says a child over 10 knows right from wrong malvo was 17 and as we heard he believed he didn't know what he was doing interesting and we've touched on this, but let's have a listen to his interview from 18 Degrees North again. And I did what he asked me to do. And I wanted my father to chase after me the way he chased after his children. So in my mind, he was already here. So he had to choose my entire mind and how I was. I had a lot of rage and self-hate because I had no room. And between the age of seven and 15, I'd already lived with 21 different women. It's interesting. I don't think of myself as a bleeding heart. I know I'm more than you are because you're very hard and straight down the line. But I do think there is something in getting caught up in a moment. But it's not a moment. It's 12 months. You know, we're yeah. not talking yeah, but that he took... A moment being a situation and getting on that adrenaline high and getting the approval from the guy you're looking up to that you're seeing in, as a father figure, I just don't think that can be ruled out. I, I'm not excusing no, anything he that. did and he should absolutely be in jail. Yep. Absolutely. And, you know, like I have no problems with any of that. But I wonder how people get into this and, and how it... I can, I feel like I can understand how people get caught up with what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, there's always a, a, a stronger and a weaker person in, in these partnerships, especially when we're talking about a serial killer team. There is always going to be that power dynamic that happens. Mm. Um, and, of course, we're getting one side of the story because John Muhammad didn't actually talk out about what was going on. So we don't have his side of the story. But at the same... Did he not say anything in the trial or anything like that? Not really, no. He he just sort of said, yeah, I'm here. And, and that's why he was executed so quickly. He didn't go for all of the thousands he didn't of appeals. Fight. No, he just yeah. he knew he was going down and 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 took what was coming to him. Whereas Malvo's trying every sort of possible thing. He's 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 done the um I found Jesus. He's done all of this sort of stuff. Surprise, <laughs> surprise. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm always I'm always jaded about that. Um, but at the same time, you know, we can say that he was the weaker person in, in this, but he had plenty of opportunity to say, I'm not doing this or going down the road to the local service station and making a call to police and saying, I'm a victim in this, help me. But but is it possible Muhammad was creating a killing machine? I, I 
I think if he just pulled someone off the street, it wouldn't have happened. Yes, definitely Malvo was groomed and there is the sexual um, abuse element that's involved in this, that, that does change all of that. But at the same time, he's 17 years old and, you know, I, I, I just can't believe that he had absolutely lost all self-control and handed it all over to someone else. Well, the interview on 18 Degrees North asked Malvo about that. Most 17-year-olds know right from wrong. What was different here? What compelled you to think it was just okay to go out and shoot all these people? He had me under a, a philosophy that was a mixture of nation of Islam with his own court. Because I always had enough race and selfish, it was easy to toy everything. He didn't hit me like, look, when I met him for the first nine months, let's go kill people. He was not like that. He's using all the right buzzwords there, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's talking about, you know, indoctrination, he's talking about religion, you know, slowly being taken over. And, you know, one of the first things that, that, that comes to mind is that this is how cult leaders work, you know. It's this stronger personality taking over a weak one, which we were just saying, you know. And I can see, you know, that this is someone sort of putting a parole defence together, basically. He's he's starting to put these pieces in saying, because Muhammad's no longer around, I should be a safe person to be let out into society. You know, he he's done this um, petition to have his sentences vacated and it was just before he happened to do this interview. I mean, so we have to remember that everything he's saying, he he's controlling it, you know. He's absolving himself of free will, but at the mm. same time he's he's showing that he has the control now that he didn't have, you know. There, there is nothing to say that someone who believes that they're so weak that they can be taken over and made to kill wouldn't go and do that again once they're free. Well, this control issue comes up a few times in the 18 Degrees North interview. Let's listen. The best analogy I can give you is when a woman stays in an abusive relationship for years, up until the point that she gets murdered and dies. And this still cannot be. For me to explain to you what it is for someone to control your diet, when you sleep, what you sleep, what you eat, what you miss, it was a complete 24 hours. He had everything, Lee, that's what you said? Do you believe that? No. I mean, it goes against everything that he's been saying. So he's saying, you know, he's, he's been left alone and that he had to fend for himself, but now he's saying that he was under someone else's control. I know it's charity from parts of his of his life, but he can't have both. Like, you, you can't be controlled by someone and not wanting any freedom whatsoever. So, um, you know, he doesn't actually know what he, he wants, and I think he's trying to describe it, but he... He gets in just a bit too deep before he realises what he's saying and he just starts to contradict himself. Well, here is him again, this time talking to CNN, and takes a very different standpoint. I mean, I, I was a monster. If you look up the definition, I mean, that's what a monster is. I, I was a ghoul. I was a thief. I, I, I stole people's lives. Amanda, a few years ago you spoke with Malvo. What was he like? Um surprisingly, as I said before, you know, he, he has found God. So everything was all about, you know, praise Jesus and, and that he will be saved and all of that. Um, but when he writes, it's so full of pity for his, his victims, you know, but then in the next sentence, it's about um, 
now can you send me cash because I found God and I'm a good person now, you know. Gone was the boy that a lot of us saw when he was arrested, this, this sort of bewildered young kid that we thought maybe was under the control of somebody else, you know, and now he 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 began to get angry. He's he's He has this simmering turmoil that's sort of below the surface and it's it's something hard to get beyond and as we've seen with these interviews he 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 wants to violently make his his point but he doesn't really know what his point is and so he then goes into the self-victimization you know I was left I was you know dumped by my parents and you know I was taken in by this man and I was abused you know it's everyone else's fault that he didn't have this self-control to say hey I'm stepping back from all of this and I want something better or something else he claims that he was looking for something better and found uh, John Muhammad but you know it's for all of his blame on John Muhammad, it doesn't sound like someone who has found God. You know, he's he, he's not con- contrite, that's for sure. I was actually surprised by his intelligence, though. Um, he, He's very well spoken and his letters uh, were quite easy to read, which is nice because so many serial killers scribble, not as bad as I do, but they do scribble. Um, but, you know, he liked to play this poor and educated kid card quite a bit, whereas he seems to be quite intelligent and, and, and quite verbose so it was surprising that that was a card that he did play on cnn malvo furthers his argument claiming that he was under muhammad's control and that sort of becomes his catch cry now speaking from red onion state prison in virginia where he's serving a life sentence malvo who's now 27 tells the post's josh white what it was like to be under the control of his older partner in the killings john allen muhammad but it's only the old person has to die. Lee Marvel has to die. And again on 18 Degrees North, he plays this card, and just to note, the censored words are offensive gay slurs that were pre-censored, not by us. The very first question my father asked me when he saw me was if I'm a b****. That's the very first question. He didn't ask me, are you okay? Are you hungry? He asked me, there's so many words, are you a to this man you touched on this before yeah absolutely i mean he feels that he's wronged by society you know he's he he talks about that his father didn't ask him was he okay he just asked him was he having sex with john muhammad i mean he doesn't need to ask if his son's okay his son's a killer he he has to reconcile that to, to begin with and the fact that he asks things about being gay i just I think that is a weird point to focus on, but that's what he does. You know, he, he believes that he's a product of all of these people around him treating him unfairly, you know, and that he's actually been made a killer. You know, he, he took up arms because he had no free choice. And, you know, I just I just think it's a, a 
pretty much a cop-out of someone who decided to take the lives of at least 10 people. Well, when asked about his punishment of life with no possibility of parole, Malvo had this to say. Instead of keeping a man in prison for life, they should just kill him. Because this is a slow death. Keep someone in the hole indefinitely. There's no chance that you will leave the population to be around prisoners. It makes no sense. You might as well kill him. Because eventually... Would you have preferred a sentence of death like your accomplice John Muhammad? Amanda, you've spoken to many killers facing all different types of sentences. Is this accurate? Well, it is because a lot of them actually say that once you've been in for seven years, it sort of becomes life, like you actually get used to it and that's okay. But here we have someone who feels really like the caged animal that he is and he's frustrated by it. You know, he's saying that people like him should be killed rather than kept alive for for long. It's not about the justice of it. It's saying that he doesn't like being in prison. Well, you know, there's a way to not go to prison and that is to not do what he did. I mean, you know, we can laugh about it now, but it's it's true and it just shows their lack of insight. It, it, It shows how they're unable to reconcile what they've done with the punishment that they receive. You know, the fact that he didn't get death sentence he's probably actually glad about you know he may sound like this is sort of oh you know i'm a poor victim and i'm suffering and will suffer for longer that this is you know a long torture this is a slower death sentence than being executed but really this is what he had to expect and he actually got the better option Hmm. Well, Amanda, your psychological profiles are always fascinating and this has been an interesting case for me. I've really found this one very, very interesting. Thank you for your insight as always. Thank you. We'll have a brand new episode of Monsters Who Murder, Serial Killer Confessions in a week's time. Hope to see you then. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com.